Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Lou. On this week's episode, I have Joseph Gasharo of The Score. What's up, bro? What's going on? It's, uh, it's like a reunion, man. Yeah, literally. No, this is uh, it's funny because I was just talking to Alex last week about Pound the Rock. Mostly about how um, we named the pod, I think, right after Dwayne Casey got fired. Uh, I know it was. A, I feel like it was a few months before that, wasn't it? Was it? It was like his last three months on the job. Okay, but I, you know, I, I remember we were talking about trying to get that rock. We were joking because because <laughs> they were going to get rid of the rock. Yeah, they were getting rid of it when they fired him. We were like, well, why can't we do this? Yeah. No, I, I didn't realize the the story behind the rock was. Um, was that like Brian Colangelo literally had to send an assistant to like Northern Ontario to find this one specific rock? Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, I wonder what that thing is, man. That should be in the that should be in the score uh, podcast studio or something. Dude, we should have done. Like, I don't know. Do you watch last week tonight with John Oliver? No, no. Well, anyway, he'll he'll sometimes like randomly like get his staff or just his fans to like go on the lookout for like some specific art piece or something he wants for a studio. And it becomes like a joke, like a running okay. joke, but then he always ends up getting it. We should have done that with Pound. We should have like started a movement for people to find that yeah. rock. And we deliver should have, man. Uh, we, we should at least get like someone to like chip off like a, a piece of it or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause I can't imagine, I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine Dwayne took it with him or something, but uh, anyway, so on this week's episode, it's, we're it's hanging from the Raptors in Detroit. <laughs> okay. That's like half their attendance. It's that one yeah. rock. <laughs> um, all right. So on this week's episode, I wanted to continue sort of looking back, uh, and I wanted to look back on the championship Toronto Raptors, the eighteen nineteen Raptors, last year's Raptors, and sort of how everyone got there. Um, you know, from top down, from Masai to the players to to Nick Nurse and everything like that. But but actually, before we go into that, um, right before we come out on the podcast, I was watching the Jordan doc, and I wanted to get your some some quick thoughts from you because first up. Um, you and I are, are you're, you're we're pretty similar in age. I don't know how much of MJ you actually watched. For me, this is like my first time watching MJ and stuff. So like everything is new. Um, uh, what's the experience been like for you? Man, it's been awesome so far. Like for, for me, MJ, my first memories of basketball, I would say, was when I was like five ish years old, and it was Hakeem in the finals. Okay. So my, I do have memories of MJ, but it was from the second three peat. Like I remember the flu game. I remember the last shot. I remember him torturing Utah. But yeah, like I obviously didn't get to live through peak and truly peak MJ, like late '80s, early '90s. Um, and you can read about it all you want. You can like watch YouTube videos, but it's still different when you get to watch it like this in this like extended format. Mm-hmm. They're putting like LL Cool J over his 63 <laughs> points at, against the Celtics, yeah. and, and you're getting like Larry Bird's commentary in between. Like, it, it's really cool, man. And I think uh, I think it's the perfect antidote, sports entertainment wise, mm. like for our time right now, where it's like you get you get some semblance of something close to live sports mm-hmm. you get the nostalgia factor um you get the like debate factor that you know sports fans I, I just think it's like so perfect for right now yeah no exactly um and like 
some of the stuff that you're seeing, it, it's just very funny. First off, like, even just to me, because I, I wasn't even in North America in the 90s. So, like, my my memories of the 90s are, like, uh, of just, like, living in China and stuff as a little kid. But, like, um, even just seeing, like, the fashion, how, like, everyone's yeah. wearing, like, these large-ass suits that look like walking, like, refrigerators. Um, seeing Charles Oakley just randomly slap Scotty Pippen in the face for, like, yeah. no reason. Yeah. Well, uh, I, so, I met, I did a, um, every Sunday night or, like, Monday morning doing, like, a takeaways post okay. after the two episodes there. And one of the things I mentioned after these two was that, like, Charles Oakley was, bo- like, he was a forever OG. Mm, the yeah. same the same guy that was, like, the veteran bully mentor for Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady at the turn of the century more than a decade earlier, even though he was only in his mid-20s, was also, like, the veteran head of the Bulls locker room and slapping Scottie Pippen around. Like, this guy bridged so many generations of NBA stars, and his role was always the same. It was just, like, veteran, tough guy, alpha in the locker room. It's kind of funny to see that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the only time I've seen uh, Oakley slap people was uh, that security footage from MSG from, like, two years ago. But <laughs> apparently he's been doing this for three decades and slapping him. Um, Slapping Scotty, so you you've heard the Oakley about the time Oakley uh, reportedly knocked out or like hit um, Tyrone Hill from the Sixers. During yeah, yeah, yeah. The- I heard that story, but because it wasn't like he owed some money or something, something like that. Yeah, and then people asked him about it, and apparently he said, uh, "Just just because there's glass on the highway, don't mean there was an accident or something." Like I don't know. What he said something like- <laughs> okay, all right. We need a Charles Oakley doc after this. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um. All right. So the the Raptors. Let's the Raptors. Um. So let's let's start at the very top. Let's start about how Masai Ujiri arrived to the Raptors. So, um, the history here is that so Masai was actually a member of the Raptors organization. Brian Colangelo actually first brought Masai Ujiri here to Toronto. Um. Apparently, he was recommended from Denver. He joined as like a director of global scouting, and then he pr- was promoted to assistant GM. And he did such a good job that the Nuggets actually ended up hiring him back. But in uh, 2013, you know, towards the end of that season, it was pretty clear Brian Colangelo wasn't going to run the team anymore. He had basically run it for like six, seven years. There were some good years or some bad years, uh, but they were going to move in a different direction. And the guy who headed all that up, Tim Liwicki, um, first off, like for people, like, can you just tell us, like for people who don't really know what Tim Liwicki really meant to Toronto sports, because it's not really brought up as much. Because he was here such a short amount of time, but can you explain who Tim Liwicki was, his involvement in bringing Masai to the Raptors, and just his importance to Toronto sports in general? Man, yeah, he came. First of all, he came from AEG, which, like, if it, you know, for older people or people that were like really into sports entertainment, knew AEG was huge in music as well in sports entertainment. Um, he was a, a huge uh, character in LA and, and in that world, and and with LA sports. And had like crazy connections. I think he had like some connections to Beckham. Everyone knows he had connections to Phil Jackson, and that's why I don't know if you remember. But when he when the wiki first got here, the rumor was that they were the Raptors were trying to get Phil Jackson to come be oh, president yeah. of basketball operation, and that was right. like, don't forget too. Okay, like it's easy to laugh now because he mm-hmm. flamed out in New York, and yeah, there were some questions at the time. Like okay, like he, we know he's a great coach. Could he really be a great manager? But people wanted that to happen. Oh like, yeah. Just for the uh, the relevance factor, right? It would have made the Raptors more relevant than they had ever been. Luckily, it didn't work out, and, and they end up going to Masai. But yeah, Lewicki was huge, man. He he changed the culture of MLSE before Masai was able to come in and set his own culture. He um, he changed everything about TFC. If it wasn't for Tim oh, Lewicki, yeah. the TFC's not getting Michael Bradley, Sebastian Javinko, and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, the Leafs, obviously, you can argue not much change, but like, so nah, he, it's better he, though. He brought in Shanahan and, and yeah. the Leafs finally built things right yeah. through the draft and stuff. So, yeah, no, Tim Lewicki, like, I agree with you, doesn't get enough credit, isn't talked about enough, but he had a huge role in reshaping not only the Raptors, but MLSE as a whole. Yeah, it was, it was such a quick kind of thing where, you know, before this, I think people really don't look at MLSC as a liability anymore. People don't really lament about it. Maybe Leafs fans a little bit, but like, um, you know, back as compared, I mean, today as compared to 2013 and before that, there was so much complaining going on in terms of just like how the Raptors were run specifically, how the Leafs were run. Uh, ownership was looked at specifically then as a liability. And I think, yeah, you know, like we could just came in here and sort of set every franchise on the right path, whether they were able to see it through it's obviously unclear, but I mean, you can't argue with the results. The Raptors won a championship, TFC won a championship in part because Laiwiki sort of laid down a lot of the groundwork. So, as you mentioned, um, Laiwiki targeted Masai Ujiri. Uh, so, Masai that year, coming off 2012 2013, he won executive of the year because he won 59 games with the Denver Nuggets. And this was right after the Carmelo trade. Um, Melo obviously forced his way to New York and, you know, t- you know, Masai basically facilitated that trade. That was the first ever trade he ever made was c- involving Carmelo and pretty much no leverage because Melo was about to leave in free agency and he only wanted to go one place, but he took those pieces, orchestrated, um, this 57 win Nuggets team, whatever they lost in the first round, but they lost it to, you know, Steph and the Warriors. And it, yeah. honestly, it, it was a really great series. Yeah. Steph but, went nuclear. That was Steph's first real, like, I'm a superstar moment. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Andre Godala was apparently feeding secret information to the other side because he switched teams. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a great situation. So, but I mean, the hiring at the time, sort of a homecoming for Masai, obviously, because his career, at least, um, you know, largely in the, in the NBA started, you know, in, in Toronto and he came back to Toronto. Um, so there was a press conference, introductory press conference for Masai. Now I have to ask you, because I watched back on the press conference. A young Joseph Gashara was uh, one of the people that, uh, one of the reporters who asked the question. Um, do you remember what you asked Masai? You know what's funny? I do. Okay. okay. I asked him, if I remember correctly, I, okay, I don't remember like specifically what I had, but I, I remember I asked him about, because this was like just as everyone was kind of starting to go crazy about like the analytics movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, stuff like that. And I asked him um, how much analytics like plays into his decision making or mm-hmm. i think i asked him if he's like more analytics driven if he's more like the old school eyeball test or somewhere in between i think that's what i asked him that's exactly what you asked him man yeah no it was it was real funny because i was just I, it wasn't even preparing for this podcast but I, I during the finals i got really nostalgic during the off days because it was like three days before between games and stuff like that i was on the road so i started watching like all these old open gyms or whatever and i saw yeah a, a clip and i was like wow that's that's cash no, it's yeah. actually kind of funny to look back at like even just some of the reporters like five six years ago. Yeah, a lot of them have changed a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, so yeah, he got Masai. I mean, first off, you know, when when the Raptors hired Masai, like, what was your reaction to the move? I, I mean, I just remember this is overwhelmingly positive. The fact that the Raptors had signed someone who was executive of the year uh, was huge, and then just that press conference, just hearing him talk about. And the one quote that really stuck with me back then when he got hired was he said, quote, we will not be stuck in the middle. Yeah. And I just remember this is exactly it. Now, I thought he was going to tank to get Andrew Wiggins or something because yeah. I thought the team needed to be blown up. But uh, what was your thoughts when Masai first got here? Yeah, same thing. I thought that resonated with me. It made me happy that he said that because Brian Colangelo, in an effort to save his job, 
was very adamant, esteemed about chasing the middle. Yep. Like people forget before they fired Brian Colangelo, there were rumors that he was negotiating with Rudy Gay on an extension. I don't know if you remember that. But that <laughs> no. was, that, yeah, that was a real thing. Like there was rumors uh. he Gay were negotiating an extension, and and then Masai comes in and mm-hmm. it's the opposite of that. And he said he'd give you know the guys on the team a chance to show what they had, but that he did not want to be stuck in the middle. If they didn't show him something, they were going to bottom out, right? And and they kind of tried to when they almost traded Kyle Lowry to the Knicks. But mm-hmm. the other thing that resonated from that Masai presser, and it, it's funny if you go back and watch it, but his opening remarks are, guys, I'm home. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's that right. resonated with me because it was like, okay, we knew obviously he wanted to come back to Toronto and they paid him handsomely so that he would come back. But to hear him say that, and then you think back like he had history there and you started realizing, okay, like the Raptors got – you know, one of the top executives in the league, literally the reigning executive of the year, and he's coming to Toronto and calling it home, and he hasn't mm-hmm. even really started up on the job yet. Um, so I think that was kind of like a precursor of what was to come and, and the pride he would end up showing in not just the Raptors, but in the city and the country, right? Right, right. And it was kind of interesting that, like, don't my, you know, my only hesitation with Masai, I remember, was not even logical. It was mostly because he had worked under Brian Colangelo, and I thought he would take a lot of approaches that Colangelo did. Now, obviously, there have been very different guys. Um, but that relationship is also kind of interesting because <laughs> later on, um, Masai's name gets brought up in that Colangelo burner story. Do you remember that? From the ringer. I do. And some of the uh, burner tweets uh, talking about Masai, some quotes. Quote, uh, Masai was called a trust fund baby. Uh, <laughs> quote, lived off of what was left here. Quote, made lateral moves. And yeah, I mean, first off, do you buy that the, it was it was Colangelo behind all of the burners? Because there was a theory that like maybe his wife would have been some of them. Because well, that didn't make sense to me. I didn't think Colangelo would talk shit about Masai, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think um, so. If I remember correctly, like when they did the investigation, they ended up finding that I think it was his wife, or that's what the Sixers I think came to the conclusion of. Okay, still fired Colangelo anyway. Obviously, because it's just such a bad look. Though it's hard to say, obviously, because like we just don't know. But I would, if I had to guess, I would say that it probably, well, based on the investigation, it was his wife. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff was probably her being upset at the way she felt her husband was being treated by the media or whatever in Philly and Toronto. Right, right. right. But I would, I would assume that even if it was his wife, at least some of it was things that they probably discussed anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some things he had said. Now. I don't know if he would have said those things about Masai, maybe not to that extent, but I also don't doubt that, you know, the guy who got fired and replaced by the guy who used to be his right-hand man Fair. probably felt a ways, right? Like, mm-hmm. you got canned, and then everyone's praising a guy that worked on his team when they were getting shit on, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. I'm sure he did feel a ways about it. Now I don't know if he if he went into that much detail about Masai being like a trust fund baby. That makes no sense, man. Masai being a trust fund baby coming from carried it home. But uh, I was gonna say Brian Colangelo of all people, who he had some successes as a GM for sure. But like literally the son of Jerry Colangelo (laughs) calling Masai Ujiri, who had to like work as like an unpaid scout on like three hundred dollars a year. Working across Europe as a trans fund baby is just, yeah, it's a different perspective. Anyway, so, um, Masai, so he gets to Toronto. His first moves in terms of just filling out the front office have all been pretty smart. I think Bobby Webster was the first hire, um, by Masai. He picked Bobby, who was very young at the time, I think mid 20s, 
Um, he hired him out of the league office. Apparently, there's a story out there that, you know, Masai tried to hire Bobby, like, when he was in Denver, too. So he really had an eye on him. And I think... Why, did he, why didn't he go to Denver? Uh, apparently, at the time, Webster had just fallen in love with his girlfriend in New York. And he was like, I can't leave this situation right now. It's like, it's too good. I'm not coming to Denver. Like, this situation is yeah. not going to survive. Um, and maybe, I don't know, man, maybe just the Raptors offered a better package or something, but, um, I just wanted to hear you, uh, say it the way you said it in the script. That's why I asked. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what I had on the script was, uh, Bobby, Bobby had a thing in New York, <laughs> Bobby had a thing in New York, but he really did. I think they're married now. So good for them. Um, Plus. and then, you know, Masai then adds, uh, you know, Dan Tolzman, uh, Teresa Resch, uh, Jeff Weltman. And this is sort of the core brain trust for the team now most of this has stayed intact obviously there's been rumors and stuff like that about people coming and going the only guy who's left is jeff weltman who was actually ironically enough he was actually someone who told the nuggets um to hire Masai in the first place so he really got him the job and then Masai was able to hire him uh afterwards and then you know jeff was a veteran guy so you know the raptors were doing well the magic hired him um, to run their organization but for the most part like this is a front office that has you know stood the test of time all these people have really shined in different ways uh you know obviously bobby's gotten to the point where he's so successful that not only was he the youngest gm in the league but he got you know um, there were some rumors that like the bulls wanted to talk to him and stuff like that so to even make that exclusive list is really important tolzman apparently is uh you know he's big into the scouting area and of yeah. course the raptors are one of the best scouting teams in the league so just a great front office assemble now if we move to the players themselves obviously the big trade that happened was the Kawhi leonard and danny green trade the trade being Kawhi leonard danny green and three million dollars don't forget that three million for DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, and a 20, 2018 first-round protected uh, pick for the lottery, that, that pick became Keldon Johnson, who was the 29th pick. Don't uh, – do you, you have any extended thoughts on Keldon Johnson? No, you could have uh, <laughs> said, like, my, the guy's name – the 29th pick was Microphone Baseball, and I'd be like, nah, nah I don't know much about it. Like, I, I, I don't remember who this first took with the 29th pick. Yeah, Um all right, so what were your first reactions to the trade when you heard it? Over the moon, man. And, like, I, like, I don't want to go down a whole road of, like, hating on DeMar, but I was – I respected everything DeMar did here. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated how committed he was to the city, the organization, how he wanted to see it through, how he got better every year. All that, give him all the props. He was a legitimate all-star, um, made the most of his scoring ability, even though he couldn't necessarily shoot – Having said all that, I was never under the illusion and was never tricked into thinking that DeMar DeRozan could be the best scorer on a championship-level team. I never even thought he was the best Raptor. I thought even at his best, even at DeMar's best, Kyle Lowry was still the most important Raptor. Um, Soon as rumors came out, the Raptors were in on Kawhi Leonard. My opinion was that if, even though it was maybe only for a year, Mm -hmm. you basically move heaven and earth earth to get that guy. Yeah. Because... The chance to get, like, the word superstar gets thrown around a lot, transcendent talent, whatever you want to say. If you're talking about guys in the NBA, okay, of all sports, that can legitimately be the number one clear-cut alpha on a championship team, even right now, you're, I don't know, like, six guys, maybe? Maybe. Maybe? Yeah. And you have the chance to get one of those five or six guys and put him on a team that's already pretty damn good and like close to championship contention. You move heaven and earth to do that because that gives you a shot to truly compete for a title for the first time in your franchise's history. So 
I get everyone was sad about the DeMar thing. For me, it was all about excitement because the Raptors have never and may never have a guy like Kawhi Leonard again. He's that good. He's that transcendent, truly. Um, so I was over the moon in general about getting Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. I remember I had worked a late. We both – you were still at the score at the time too. I, yeah. yeah, still at the score at the time. Um, I had worked a late night supervisor shift the night before to like 2 a.m. Yeah. When the Kawhi stuff was a rumor, I had gone to sleep, slept in a bit, woke up with the alerts, the score alerts on my phone. So I'm already like getting excited, thinking about what I'm going to write that day, whatever. And then I'm going through like the follow-up alerts and I'm literally thinking this can't be right. Mm-hmm. There's no – like – which one of Siakam or Ananobi's in this deal? There's no way. Yeah. It's just Rosen, Pirtle, and a pick. There's no way. And then I realized that was the case, and I was like, man, no offense to tomorrow, but I don't care how loyal an all-star is. If you turn that into Kawhi Leonard, like, no one should be shedding tears. Yeah. Yeah, and, man, I mean, first off, I didn't even think leading up to the trade, because there was some talk, but obviously Kawhi had been in the rumor mill for a while, he only played nine games with the Spurs that year. Uh, he was rehabbing away from the team. There's sort of like a war of words, like his group, Popovich said, and, you know, whatever. So there's clearly animosity. That relationship is going to come to an end. But, like, the way that the the rumors were throughout the course of the year was like, oh, he might be going to the Lakers for pretty much every, you know, prospect they have. Uh, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Julius Randle, whichever, you know, prospects they had at the time. Or he was going to the Sixers for, like, uh, a Ben Simmons package around Ben Simmons. Or he was going to the Celtics for, like, a Jason Tatum or, like, Jalen Brown. Like, these were big, big names. Now, first off, those trades could have happened. Those trades would have all been better than what the Raptors ended up giving the Spurs. Um, but I think, you know, what made this unique and what the, the reason the Spurs actually accepted this deal was, I guess, it made sense in, in hindsight because they were just trying to make – that team stay competitive. Popovich is sort of nearing the end of his career, although he seems to continue want to. He seems to want to keep coaching, so that's good for him. But um, they need to stay competitive. They got a star player who can still play in Demar Derozan. He's still very good. He's like, probably the best player on the Spurs right now. I mean, yeah, between yeah. him and Lamarcus, but yeah. honestly, Demar's kind of better to be honest. I think offensively, yeah. he's really, really good. Um, they needed to get him. Pirtle, I mean. I don't know. I mean, I just think that, like, if the Spurs really tried to twist the Raptors' arms, they could have gotten OG or Siakma out of this deal. And the fact that yeah. they kind of settled for Pirtle, uh is kind of nuts to me. And then the first-round pick was kind of whatever. Like, yo, if the Raptors were going to get a healthy Kawhi, that, that pick was going to be nothing. Like, So um, I, I was thrilled when that deal happened. I actually remember I, you know, we had been working free agency. Free agency worked, like, pretty late in that year. So, like, uh, I was looking at, like you know, middle of July as like, all right, I'm going to take a short vacation here. Just like a three day thing. Like, you know, I'm going to go on a little camping trip. And then the morning of, I woke up and like, I literally like looked at my phone and saw the alerts like you did. And like, was just like running around the campsite. (laughs) I remember (laughs) emailing you guys instructions, how to record the, uh, the pound the rock with Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I had to like drive around to get services over that, but yeah, incredible deal. Um, so Danny Green has thrown the deal. Um, well, I mean, first off, th- this this trade broke in pieces. When you heard the news that Danny Green was also going to be a piece coming back. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was mind-blowing. Uh-huh. Mind-blowing. Danny Green was a throw-in mm-hmm. to this deal. And, like, if you look at what Danny Green excels in, and he's like the prototypical 3 and D wing. Yeah. And also, like, 
I feel like people kind of underestimate um, and don't necessarily appreciate what Danny brought to the team last year. I know he didn't have the greatest playoffs. You know, his last three games in the finals were bad. We know about the game six turnover. And I've noticed that anytime I like tweet positives about Danny Green now, a lot of people will reply being like, well, what about that turnover? What about like this shooting in the finals? It's like, dude, Come did on. you not watch the entire season? This guy shot over 40% from three on a ton of attempts. He was in consideration for an all defensive spot. Like he was, for his role, he was elite. And if you're looking at like the way the Raptors were constructed last year and how the pieces fit, what Danny Green brought at the two guard position was much more um, in line with like the way that team structured than a guy like DeMar DeRozan would have been in that role, right? Yeah. Like Danny Green's inclusion in that deal was massive. Like, yeah, maybe the Raptors don't win a title without him. I know in the end, like. Van Vliet was taking his minutes down the stretch and, and whatever. And like this year, Powell and Van Vliet have kind of combined to, to more than fill Danny's role. But mm-hmm. between what he brought in the regular season and like for stretches of playoffs, I don't know if they win a title without Danny Green. They probably don't. Yeah. And that's the thing. It was, it was strange to me that the Spurs just tossed him into the deal. Danny Green was in the trade from the Spurs perspective to balance the contracts. Because Demar, I think, made like twenty-seven and a half. Uh, Pirtle was like three million, and Kawhi only made like twenty-three. So they needed another contract to sell it out, and they were like, "All right, we'll just give you Danny Green." Like that's that's nuts to me. First off, like you can't just give away a piece of your championship like that. Like you know what I mean? Like Danny Green was a huge part of yeah. the Spurs back then. Uh, obviously, started most of those years. Um, and Yo, the year the year the Spurs won the title. Against Miami, yeah, was that not the year Danny went nuts from three in the finals? I think that might have been the year before that, oh, the twenty thirteen year, where they should have really won. I mean, yeah, like, well, Danny Green would have been like the finals MVP. Like he was so dude, good in that series. So what I was going to say is, it, I guess it was the year they lost. But in one of those two Spurs Heat finals years, yeah. in case people forgot, Danny Green was in that series. What like Fred Van Vliet was, yeah against the Bucks or even in the finals where he yeah. couldn't miss like everything he touched went in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember even writing after I think game one or two of the finals, because I think he had a really good, you know, um, game one or just start. He started the finals really well. And this- I remember like tweeting out that like Danny Green for his career in three point shots in the finals was like 52, 53%. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he, he shot a lot too. So, um, yeah. I remember oh, after man. game one, I think he hit four or five threes in game one of the finals. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted uh, something like, oh, like, you clowns thought Danny Green wasn't going to drop bombs in the finals. Yeah. And I, I felt so <laughs> smart at the time. That did not <laughs> age well. Although, but through three games, because yeah. I actually went back and looked at this when I was rewatching the finals. Through three games, he was like 10 of 20 or 11 of 22 from deep. Like, he was yeah. shooting 50% from deep in the first three games of the finals. It's just that then games four, five, and six, he kind of went into the tank. Yeah. And, you know, like, this is obviously not intentional and dark, but I don't know if the Raptors win the, like, win it in six games with a healthy, fully healthy Clay Thompson. And, of course, Danny Green didn't intentionally hurt Clay at all, but I'm just saying, like, it, it had to be there. You know what I mean? For all that to happen. I'm not, I'm not saying that's his contribution. That shouldn't be no. what it says on his, on his ring and- or whatever, hurt Clay Thompson, but, like, it, it it was an important factor. I will say that much. The thing is, too, like I, it was a good hard basketball. Yeah, play. exactly. And he was it so was, good at transition contests. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, um, 
yeah, like non-LeBron division, Danny Green was as good as anyone in the league in like tra- like you said, transition contests. Mm-hmm. And it was the finals. You're not there's no possession that you just kind of let go. And he made a great effort. Right. And it ended up injuring Clay Thompson. Yeah, it's it's a shame. But um, going back to this trade, uh, honestly, you know, I, you talked about the Demar perspective thing there, and uh, again, like no one wants to change Demar's legacy or no one wants to downplay what he did for the franchise. It's really important, but I think context also matters here, right? Because the Raptors, yeah. they were in a situation where remember Masai had re-signed Kyle, they re-signed Serge, and they said it's a three-year window, all right, through the end of this actual current season, the nineteen twenty season. Um, and we're going to try to compete for a championship. And in 17, they get swept by the Cavs. LeBron pretends to sip a beer. <laughs> LeBron calls for an alley-oop off the glass from Kyrie Irving two spins minutes into the, the series. <laughs> yeah, spins the ball in Serge Ibaka's face, all right? There's PJ, PJ Tucker, the LeBron stopper memes all over the internet. <laughs> Bro, you know what the funny thing is? Out of everything you just mentioned, yeah, those all happened in like the first... 14 minutes of game one (laughs) like think about how hyped we were for that series (sighs) that pj tucker Mm, like Mm. and within half an hour of real life time maybe like 14 minutes of game time yeah lebron was already clowning them yeah and then next the year after that arguably even worse 2018 the raptors uh 59 win team number one seed Whatever, six games against Washington, but Washington has some talent, whatever. So yeah. they get into the second round. The Cavs, they needed every single bit of prime LeBron just to get past the Indiana Pacers. Bogdan Bogdanovich was outplaying LeBron at certain points in the series. It was wild. Um, LeBron had to hit some multiple game winners. And then, you know, yeah, they, they lose again. You know what I mean? They get swept again. Game one, whatever. JV or CJ Miles should have tipped the ball in. It's unfortunate, but really what happened was they blew a huge lead and yeah. they just started choking. They, there was no reason why that game should have even come down at tips at the end. Um, the Cavs had one day rest between yeah. that series and this one, and they looked appropriately gassed mm-hmm. to start that game. Like you mentioned, the Raptors built this big lead. It was double digits after one quarter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked like, okay, this is the number one seed rested against this like older, kind of worn down yeah. Cavs team. Like, it looked as it should have. And then all of a sudden, yeah. the Cavs found this other gear, or LeBron found this other gear, and the Raptors had no answer, and they looked shell-shocked. Yeah. And, like, the Raptors just capitulated. Like, like yeah. Kyle, Kyle fought to the end. I respect Kyle for that. Game three, that comeback on the road in Cleveland, the Raptors could have just rolled over. Single-handedly, Kyle almost won that game. Exactly. Kyle was great in that one. OJ Anobi was great in that one. DeMar DeRozan was benched in that, in that third quarter. Now, they didn't end up winning because LeBron hit one of the greatest... Game, I mean, one of the most unique game winners I've ever seen. Um, but, like, still, the Raptors came back in that game. They were supposed to lose that game. And then game four, DeMar DeRozan slaps Jordan Clarkson on the head, trying to chase him down in transition, and gives himself ejected in the second quarter. And that's his last play as a Raptor. And so this is the context. The Raptors basically were in a situation where they needed to do something. They needed to make a move. And so that's why they made the move. It's not just for because it was for Kawhi. Because as it's turned out in, in you know in recent reports uh, after the fact, the Raptors were also trying to get Paul George. They were offering DeMar in that Paul George package. They're off, And so they knew they needed to make a move. And it just sucks that it had to come at DeMar's expense. But there was not – it was not unjustified. They definitely had a reason to do it. And it was a great reason. And it, as it turns out, that was the pivotal move in the Raptors winning a championship. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, that's another thing I think a lot of people forget is 
DeMar's last two games as a Raptor and his final moment as a Raptor were yeah. honestly, like for a franchise type player, pretty embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, in the middle of a series where like a 59 win one seed just completely pissed themselves. Yep. And, and did, quite frankly, looked like not up for the moment. Mm-hmm. They looked like they were not ready for that stage, which was embarrassing given all the things they had gone through to get to that stage. Exactly. And it looked like they were way backwards because at least in 2016, whatever, they got blown out of the water. But they, at least they won two games. Yeah. After that point, they got swept twice. So they make this trade. Now, just the last thing on this on this deal, now that you've seen how it played out for San Antonio, what would you grade the deal on their perspective? Because I actually went back because I'm, I'm kind of sick and also it's a, it's a, it's quarantine. I'm, I'm sick like – Mentally, not 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 physically, guys. Please, um, but I went back and listened to the Locked On Spurs podcast, the trade reaction, and some quotes from there. They called Masai Mujiri multiple times, which I thought was really disrespectful. All right, all right. Uh, they said the Spurs won the deal. Uh, they called Jakaproto quote, I mean quote, a young Pau Gasol, and they said quote nothing but sweetness. For the Spurs' future. <laughs> Hold on, wait. Wolfon was on that pod. <laughs> no, expose him, man. <laughs> no, Jacoperto had some had some nice moves. He was agile. If he had any scoring touch, <laughs> you know, yeah. it'd be no, great. I, listen, Wolfon. Oh, I like Pertle too. Wolfon yeah. like Pertle the most out oh. of the three of them. And even Wolfman would have never called him a young pal. Young pal Gasol. So anyway, so what would you grade the uh, the deal from San Antonio's perspective? Obviously now with hindsight. A D. A D. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, I, I don't think it's fair to call it an F because they did still, like, DeMar hasn't made an all-star team in San Antonio, but they, mm-hmm. they did get two good years out of, yeah, at yeah. worst, like, a borderline all-star. And DeMar had, like, a two-month run this year. That was oh, pretty yeah. incredible. Like, yeah. where he was, um, I, I think he flirted with the record of... Uh, most consecutive like twenty point games over fifty percent shootings like he was super yeah. efficient yeah um so I, I don't want to like kind of trivialize it and call it an F when we mm-hmm. know that's not the case but I also think it's fair to call it close to an F when you trade a player of Kawhi Leonard stature mm-hmm. who was a Finals MVP for your franchise who the year he got hurt came into that season as the MVP favorite yep okay yep. that's the level of player they traded. Mm-hmm. And threw in the ultimate championship glue guy like Danny Green. Yep. And threw money into the deal. <laughs> Three mil. That should go straight get, into Masai's bank account. To get essentially a borderline all-star who uh-huh. hasn't actually made an all-star game for them. Mm-hmm. A young big who like at best tops out as a, a solid rotation piece. Yeah. And, and that's then, it. Well, you're, you're forgetting Keldon Johnson. I mean, yeah. come on, man. That, that could Keldon still Johnson swing things, all right? As far as I know, might be a new employee at the score that I haven't met. Like I don't, I don't know. He's the latest copy editor, man. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, I agree with that. I wouldn't go as harsh. I'd go probably C plus, only from the perspective that like they didn't have that much leverage at the time, but it was still Kawhi. Like so, uh, I think getting Demar out of the deal pretty good. They needed someone to sort of stabilize things. Obviously, it's a lot lower of a ceiling, but really the the where they failed was just the prospects. If they had gotten OG or Siakam. This deal's probably like a maybe. I don't know, man. Maybe a B. I don't even know to yeah, be honest. No, B's always is kind of generous. But if they got Siakam and Demar, yeah. first off, the Raptors don't win the championship without Siakam, yeah. so that would be big. But also, like, yeah, that'll be two great pieces. So, um, yeah, no, I think 
Look, you mentioned that the fact they didn't have much leverage, right? Everyone mm. knew Kawhi wanted out. Um, there were some questions about his health and his future and all that. So yeah, if they if they had got a like something close to a blue chipper, even if it was OG, right? Yeah. And OG ends up hurt at the end of that, whatever the case may be, that's still that's still solid return yeah. for a guy that you probably had no chance of keeping. Um, it's the fact that they got nothing future oriented out of it. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, Jakob Pertl is not going to be some foundational piece on a Spurs title contending team in the near future. Yeah. And when you trade a guy like Kawhi, you'd hope, even if it takes years, mm-hmm. that one of, at least one of the pieces, whether it's one of the players or the, a pick, turns into that type of piece. And the fact that, you know, if DeMar walks this yeah. year, he can opt out and become a free. Like, if DeMar walks... You're looking at within a year and a half of trading a finals MVP caliber player being left with Jakob Pearl and Keldon John. Like, I'm sorry, that that's pretty close to a failure. Yeah. Um, all right, so the other trade that had to happen, uh, Marcus Saul. Uh, I, I, I think you and I both agree that if the Raptors didn't add Marcus Saul, they don't win the NBA championship. Um, they don't get past the second round. Yeah, they probably don't, man. Because if it wasn't for Embiid, like, you know, uh, averaging like 13 points a game, that's... It was it was very important uh, defensively, and I think just Mark changed the way the Raptors played, you know, defensively. So the trade, Marcus All for Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, and a twenty twenty four second round pick. Um, so a big part of this actually is a huge credit to Marcus All himself because he had a player option on his deal at the time, and the the Charlotte Hornets were also interested in trading for Marcus All, and reports are that. Mark wouldn't agree to pick up his player option had he gone traded to Charlotte. And that kind of forced, um, basically he forced his way to Toronto. Uh, because obviously Charlotte was not as enthusiastic about just getting Marcus All for like a month, basically. Uh, so yeah, Marcus All comes to Toronto for that deal. Uh, we worked this deal together at the trade deadline at the score. What was your reaction? Do you remember, you know, just, you know, your thoughts I- on the deal? I remember this vividly. So, yeah, we were working deadline day together. Uh, I was in Houston. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, We were uh, working on, like, a score X thing with Austin Rivers. Where right, we were, yeah, like, yeah. following him. And uh, But I stayed in the Airbnb that day because we were working on deadline day stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, all the rumors, like, the Raptors and Bucks were both in on Miritich. Yep, yep. yep. And then that went out. And I was, like, a little disappointed because I did like Miritich. Mm-hmm. But I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. think he was going to move the championship needle. But I was still like, all right, going on it. But my hope was Gasol. Like Gasol was the ultimate prize. I thought that was like the true – when you look back on championship teams, like that was the true like final piece. You know, think back to like the Pistons with Sheed or something like – like. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of the way I viewed it. Like this is – this would really be – truly put the Raptors in a point where like that is a championship level team. Whether they win it or not, mm-hmm. for the first time in my life, I'd be able to look at a Raptors team and say like that is a championship level talent base there. Yep. Between Kawhi and Mark and Kyle and the way Pascal was emerging. Yeah. And it literally came down to, like, I, I'm pretty sure it was right around 3 o'clock when it yeah, came yeah. in. One of those deals that was like, oh, wait, we might have something here. And uh, I remember literally jumping off the couch in this Airbnb in Houston. Like, jumping. Mm. Like, air, like, MJ after he hit the shot in Cleveland <laughs> hang time. Um, going nuts about this. Nah, sc- and, scoring the game-winning I, pen at XTSC, yeah, man. Yeah. Come on. Um, but... <laughs> It was uh, it was incredible, man. And again, yeah. it was one of those things. Like I understand people were a little upset about JV. Like he, he loved the city. He was a good guy. All that. He was part of the Raptors building. But man, like I'm not trying to be heartless, but when you're when you're chasing a championship, dude. Yeah. 
you you got to make those decisions and you have to be able to let go when it's time to let go and you know no amount of respect i had for jv mm-hmm. could have dampened my excitement for that deal when it happened yeah no i remember this day very vividly too because this was the last day i worked at the score um and i wanted to make sure i worked through the trade deadline because i didn't want to leave you guys like you know literally high and dry for the freaking trade deadline um, but I remember being in the war room. That, for that was big on your end, man. You you put in like a a twelve hour shift deadline oh, day, even though you knew you were out the door, bro. That, yo, that I'm was like Kawhi. Man. That was Kawhi against <laughs> Milwaukee on one leg. He's like, yo, I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm leaving as a free agent in, a, in like a couple months anyway. But you know what? I'm gonna give my all to this team. No, nah, that was a double OT. That was a double OT performance for sure. Um, no, nah, I think I just missed it. I didn't want to. I didn't really want to say goodbye to a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I remember working that day with Wolf on in the room. And I'm, again, man, wow, Wolfon catching strays all of a sudden. But like, Wolfon wasn't that enthusiastic. Like, I think he was like, eh, I don't know. Mark's kind of like, you know, yeah, old. You know, I'm not even sure if that's an upgrade over JV. And I was like, no, no, no come on, man. This is Marcusol. It it's it's Marcusol, and that's the thing though, because the history here with Marcusol is that the Raptors never like officially. But I remember reading in like 2014, 2015 that range that like. Kahal Kelly of the the Global Mail wrote about how Marcus Saul was the Raptors' white whale, and I was like, "All right, maybe you know the phrase of that way." All right, that's a little rude, but like you know, like they wanted Marcus Saul for years, and obviously everyone wanted Marcus Saul. He was an All NBA level center. He was uh, obviously leading the Grizzlies to the playoffs, and you know, one Defensive Player of the Year. But they wanted Marcus Saul for a while, and they wanted him so badly they tried to change a lot of JV's aspects to become more like Gasol, to become more defensively oriented, to stretch the range, to become a better passer, a playmaker, uh, a more intuitive player. And of course, they couldn't do that with JV. JV is JV, and Gasol is Gasol. You can't just make someone else into a future Hall of Famer. But the fact that they got Gasol, you know, it was it was incredible. And the fact that they, I don't know, do you actually buy they were in Miritich, or do you think this was sort of like a smokescreen? Because it, it kind of goes against what the Raptors were last year, which was like defensively sound. Yeah, I think what it probably was is like a team doing their regular due diligence, mm-hmm. probably Masai or Bobby or someone picked up a phone and and asked you know, what the price was on Meritage. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it was, it could have been as simple. A lot of times it is as simple as just a team doing their due diligence. Right. And a name comes up. And then all it takes is an agent, uh, someone leaking that. And being, oh, they, they're asking about this guy. Mm. But I agree with you. I, I, I don't think they were that interested in Meritage because he didn't really fit right. with what they were trying to do. Also, another reason I was so excited about Gasol, and it proved correct, yeah. is that we knew the trouble that he gave. Yeah, yeah, young superstar bigs like Embiid specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yeah, and if you remember, like I was kind of all year last season. Not that I didn't respect the Bucks, but I was convinced that the Sixers were going to be like a team right, in the right. East at the Raptors. Like I was more worried about the Sixers than I was about the Bucks, especially after they got Jimmy Butler, because mm-hmm. I just thought that like collection of talent in a playoff series was so scary. Right, right. And and so I honestly didn't think the Raptors could beat the Sixers in a playoff series until they got Gasol. Right. And I honestly, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I'm not, I don't really think they get by with that. I really don't. Even though JV had some good moments against MB yeah. too. But yeah, it, really in this trade, it just, it just sucks again. Cause like JV kind of similar ending with DeMar, right? Like JV was a good soldier for the Raptors. He was never the star of the Raptors. Some people would argue there's definitely a hive out there, the JV hive that would have argued that JV should have been more featured 
And I honestly, I think there's a case for it. But like, clearly, was a bit of a limited player defensively and things like that in terms of just inflexible with his skill set. But at the same time, like a great, like a really, really good soldier, right? At the start of that last season, um, Nick Nurse introduces the idea that he's going to split the center position with Serge Ibaka because Serge is going to move over to center. JV accepted that. JV accepted the fact that there was some nights he was going to start, some nights he wasn't. And it, literally, you would know like a couple hours before game time. This was after years of being the number one starter unquestioned in Toronto, basically since he was drafted. Uh, and yeah, he accepted that. He fought for the team. He was having a really good year last year in terms of just his efficiency per minute. And um, it sucks that he went down because, again, his last moment as a Raptor was almost was more than two years ago now. It was like in the middle of December in uh, 2018 when Draymond slapped him in, on, on the hand and it broke his finger. And he, he yeah. couldn't play for, until... The day that the trade deadline happened, he was literally, he's on open gym quoted as saying, I'm excited to get back out there, contribute to the team. And like, he just never got a chance to because he got moved for Marcus All. It, it just sucks because again, this is sort of the business of the basketball, right? Like, you know, you have to make these decisions. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say like, listen, a huge respect to JV for everything he did in Toronto and a credit to him for getting so good to the point where he was able to be traded for Marcus All. That should be a compliment. That really right. should be, even though um, it kind of, it's hard to hear, you know? Yeah, well, same with DeMar, right? Like, obviously, you don't want to that, – like, that's not what you want your reputation to be. But mm-hmm. 20 years from now, people are going to look back and be like, oh, shit, DeMar DeRozan got traded for Kawhi Leonard. Like, you know what I mean? It, yeah. You, he had to make himself good enough to be in that talk just like JV did. Um, yeah, like you mentioned JV's last memories Raptor being – breaking his hand or his wrist or whatever it was on that Draymond play. Also, if you think back to it, even though he had that good regular season start last season, mm-hmm. like – a lot for a lot of people, the defining moment in the end of JV's Raptors tenure is him missing that tip in Game One against Cleveland. It is sad, yeah. but the, that's the way it goes, man. Yeah. Those are the moments that get embedded in your mind. I mean, that's the thing, though, and that and that's where I, I don't blame Masai as much. I mean, I, I don't blame Masai for any of those stuff. To be honest, he brought the championship; that's his job. But you know, if 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 DeMar, if JV made some of those tips, if Demar was a better number one option, they probably don't get moved. Period. Right. So. um yeah, anyway, so so that's the Gasol trade. And just the last thing on the Gasol trade, so <clears throat> the Miritich thing for the Bucks. Uh he you know, he started okay game one, game two, not as much, but Miritich for the series in the Eastern Conference Finals. First off, he only plays five of the six games. Uh he was a minus thirty seven combined. And <laughs> yeah, he didn't play game six either, so uh, and now he's uh in Barcelona playing yeah. for yeah, so <laughs> I don't know, man. A great, great move by the Bucks. I, I hope the Raptors are only interested in Miritich to bid up the price for the Bucks. That would be an incredible move. That actually would be incredible, and yeah. I wouldn't even doubt that. No, me neither. Actually, to be honest, Masai has definitely done some damage on on uh, Milwaukee over the years. So, next guy, in the, in, in, you know, that I want to focus on, Kyle Lowry. You know, okay, so Kyle Lowry arrived obviously a long, long time ago, 2012. He arrives, Lowry four, Gary Forbes, and a first round pick, which turned into Stephen Adams. Uh, this was, you know, towards Houston. Obviously, Houston used that pick in the James Harden deal. Um, it's not even so much about Kyle Lowry, how he, you know, got to Toronto because he's been here for so long. But it's sort of like the trades that didn't happen for Kyle Lowry to stick around and have that moment in Game Six of the NBA of the Eastern Conference Finals, for people are chanting his name, and of course having Game Six of the NBA Finals where he's having just an incredible, sensational start to set the tone for the Raptors winning the championship. Because you look back on it, 2013. It was supposed to be Lowry for Iman Shumpert and a first-round pick. That is one of the greatest 
moves never that's one of the greatest trades that never happened maybe in toronto sporting history you know what i mean yeah and it's all thanks to the fact that james dolan's a meddlesome clown right like he (laughs) literally a control freak that like didn't um he was scared and really so here's the thing you have to go back Mm -hmm. to masai ujiri everyone remembers the rudy gay trade masai ujiri's first really big piece of business after Mm -hmm. he took over brian colangelo was trading the guy Brian Colangelo called the enigma of all enigmas. Andrea <laughs> Bargnani, the biggest disgrace to Italian basketball. <laughs> okay, like no, no one, no Paisan was proud to claim him. Oh, bro, come on, man. He rep primo pasta. Like that, that's, that says <laughs> yeah, it all right there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This guy was the um, shoe go of the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Well, the real Paisan, like Gallo's eating a sugo, Bargnani's eating a sugo. Okay. Um, but yeah, and Masai turns Bargnani. Mm-hmm. Into um, land no, no Landry feels they have signed. Uh, who it, the trade was? Steve Novak, yeah. Quinton Richardson, Marcus Canby, who never Marcus arrived. Canby. A bunch of expiring money and how many two picks? I think it was one second and then one first round pick that was unprotected though. The first round pick became Jakob Pertle, mm-hmm. which was used in a trade later to acquire Kawhi Leonard. Yep. Um, Amazing. I don't remember what the second pick ended up becoming. It might have been that Xavier Thames thing. I don't know, man. Maybe. Yeah. But but anyway, the, the point is they he extracted value mm-hmm. out of a situation where it should have been a dump where you just take anything you can get. Yeah, exactly. And that reported – like that fleecing of the Knicks reportedly yeah. is then what leads later that year <laughs> when the season starts – to James Dolan stepping in and not wanting the Lowry trade to happen yeah. because he doesn't want to get fleeced by Masai Ujiri again. And you think back, yo, if that trade had went down, yeah. Raptors would have... None of this happens. Yeah, none of this happens. They probably don't even make the playoffs that year, the no, 2013-14 year, okay? Forget making six straight trips and winning a title and all that. Um, the guy who ends up becoming the greatest player in franchise history in Kyle Lowry yeah. ends up being here only a year and a half. Um, the Knicks... Maybe make yep. the first move towards saving themselves. Like imagine yep. Kyle Lowry becoming Kyle Lowry in, at MSG. How loved Ooh. he would have been in New York, and how he could have changed that franchise. And and in the end, Masai Ujiri would have ended up taking a lot of heat for that. Oh yeah, definitely. Right, like definitely. everything we know about Masai would have changed. Um, but yeah, like you said, man, sometimes it's the deals that aren't made. Yeah, and and you know what? Now that you mention it, it's 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 really you make your own luck in life sometimes, right? Masai being that good and that good at fleecing the Knicks previously allowed this deal not to happen. Now, obviously, you, you know, whatever. But, yeah, it, it's an incredible move that just didn't happen. Now, obviously, Lowry then becomes, like, a franchise player, a core piece. There was some talk. Maybe he would leave in free agency, but it never really did. The Raptors paid him, took care of him, and stuff like that. Um, and then, really, the only other time you ever hear Lowry in trade rumors was last year around the trade deadline. It wasn't real serious. It wasn't from Woj. It wasn't from, like, Mark Stein or Chris Haynes or Shams or whatever. But there was a report out there that, like, okay, the Raptors talking to the Grizzlies, right? They're interested in Marc Gasol. They might expand the package to include Kyle Lowry and, uh, and Mike Conley. Now, I'm not really convinced that that really went that far. But, again, that's another move that's not made. Ultimately, they didn't end up going down that path. And, um, and yeah, so Kyle Lowry, you know, he's obviously an important piece of the team. Obviously, you know, him and... Uh, Masai had their differences last year too. That was sort of uh, very clear when you know ESPN came to Toronto. Remember that All Access game uh, against the Bucks, where uh, pretty sure Kyle Lowry scored zero points in that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, he's got to stop doing that. But uh, yeah, I remember you know he came here and then he talked about how you know Masai's the the president. Uh, and I'm a player. That's the whole relationship between us right now. And Masai said, you know, Kyle Lowry's always mad at me. I didn't even trade him. So they had to hash it out. And they hashed it out before the trade deadline. And, you know, everything worked out. But, yeah, Kyle Lowry, man. I mean, again, it's it's weird how you win a championship sometimes. Because a lot of things have to happen for Kyle to even be here. And then, obviously, to stay here. You know? Yeah, man. A lot of things have to fall into place. Uh, mm-hmm. You need your share of luck. You need bounces for them sometimes. Like you, yeah. So much has to go right in one season man to win a title and and sometimes it's you have to look back like five years at a trade that even never went down Mm -hmm. to remember how many things have to line up for a franchise to win a champion in the nba especially where like random titles don't really happen right exactly um i think the raptors were i don't remember what the number is i i tweeted a lot about it when it first happened but i think the raptors were like only the ninth or the 12th franchise in the last four decades to actually win an nba title like yeah, it's amazing. Random championships in the NBA don't happen. They're like built with superstars and all this. And yeah, you look back at so many things that could have gone other ways in the last six or seven years, and mm-hmm. it's crazy, man. Yo, the Raptors and Celtics have like the same number of titles in the last thirty years, dude. That's the thing. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't want to hear Celtics fans from our generation talking about yeah. the history of the Celtics. No, in my lifetime, yeah. the Raptors, the Celtics have as many championships as the Raptors and the Cavaliers. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are you talking about? Exactly. Um, moving down the list. So Pascal and Fred. So they joined the team 2016 NBA draft. I mean, obviously Fred went undrafted, but the Raptors made the first phone call after the draft was to Fred and they signed him and stuff like that. Um, I talked about them extensively in the last week's episode, so I don't want to go too far into, uh, this one here, but, um, I just wanted to ask you, where would Siakam and Fred VanVleet go in a hypothetical redraft of the 2016 NBA draft? Because, uh, Pascal goes 27th and Fred is obviously undrafted, so. I, okay, let me let me quickly pull up the 2016 draft here. All right, let me let me let me let me give you some names that uh, <clears throat> that went uh, earlier. First off, you know I'm not even trying to say the Raptors were geniuses or whatever because obviously they were geniuses. But if they knew what Pascal was going to become, if they even knew what Fred was going to become, they wouldn't have picked Yaka Pertl first with their ninth pick. All right, they exactly. would have taken Siakam or Fred first. So, um, you know, there's an element of luck. But this is actually a pretty good draft. Ben Simmons goes first overall. Brandon Ingram number two. Jalen Brown, three. Now, it gets pretty bad after this. Dragon Bender, Chris Dunn. All right, not great. But then Buddy Heald, who's... Jamal Murray? Not bad. Jamal Murray, Marquise Chris, Jakob Pertl. And there's some other names in this draft, like uh, Sabonis goes 11th to Orlando. That gets moved to OKC, yep. and then OKC moves him to uh, uh, Indiana, where he's since become an all-star. Karis LeVert, 20th. Karis LeVert's okay, you know. Um, DeJounte De- Murray, 29th. DeJounte's not bad. Uh, Zubach is a starter. Yeah. Yo, this was a solid draft. Yeah, it was a solid draft. Juki. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) Joji. I I always laugh when I hear, when I, any reference to Juki because. (laughs) Yo, say his name right, it's Joji. (laughs) Joji. Well, anyway, I always laugh every time, every time I see a reference to him because I always Mm -hmm. remember you clowning, uh, was it Andre Blatch? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was. was, I always remember you clowning Andre Blatch for getting dominated by mm-hmm. you in an international game. So anytime I yep. see Shu's name, I always think of you clowning Andre Blatch. Yeah, Jochi, the, uh, we, people thought he was Chinese Chris Taz, but it turns out he was more of Chinese Chris Boucher. And honestly, that's a, that's disrespect to Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher could dominate Jochi. Uh, okay, yo, I'm saying Siakam 
Siakam probably goes. Man, does he go one in a redraft? That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's it, why I asked this question. Like, he's the best player in this draft right player. now. We can agree yeah, on that, right? He's the best player in this draft right now. Like, I, I feel like you'd have some executives that would still take Ben Simmons. Okay. I feel like you might have a couple that are so tempted by Brandon Ingram's scoring potential. And, yo, I'm all in on what Ingram did this season as a scorer. Mm-hmm. I feel like you might have, like, one or two executives that are so into his scoring ability that maybe some of them go with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Ainge goes with Jalen Brown, number one, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I, no, I think like twenty of thirty GMs or like eighteen of thirty would go with Siakam number one. Yeah, no, I, I don't think Siakam slipping to the lowest Siakam slips to in this draft in a redraft is three, and yeah. that's for people who really still believe in Ben Simmons, yeah, uh, and people who really still believe in Brandon Ingram. Even the most enthusiastic Jalen Brown fan is not taking him over Siakam. Uh, and then, you know, Fred Van Vliet. So Fred doesn't go, you know, obviously some of the real star players in this draft. But yeah. he's still going to the top 10 in a redraft, right? Because you, you look at some of the names. You're taking Ben Simmons over him. You're taking Ingram. You're taking Brown. You're taking uh, Heald, I guess. You're taking Jamal Murray. I think, I think you take Heald and yeah. Murray over him, yeah. Yeah, you're taking Sabonis. You're taking Siakam, obviously. You're, Levert, sure. I'll give Levert. But yeah. that's those are the only guys that I'm like, all right, they'll would go you, over. Would you take Brogdon over Van Vliet in a redraft? I don't think so, no, because Brogdon has a really bad injury history. Yeah. And if you want to talk about guys who are low-key old, Malcolm Brogdon's 27 already, man. Yeah. How'd yeah, that happen? No, it's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> How'd that happen? I think, I think you could, between Brogdon, Lavert, Van Vliet, and uh, DeJounte Murray, mm-hmm. I think those four guys in some order make up like the 8th to 11th picks. So right. either way, you're looking at Siakam and Van Vliet being top three and top ten ish eleven. Like, yeah, and they and they were had for the twenty something pick and a non pick. Yeah, yeah, it's just an incredible bit of drafting. Um, now moving down even further in the list, Norman Powell and OG Anobi. So <clears throat> going back to the Bucks. Uh, <laughs> so Gravis Vasquez was traded to Milwaukee for the forty six pick of that year's draft, so twenty seventeen. Uh, 2016, and a future 2017 first-round pick. Uh, the 46th pick in 2016 becomes Norman Powell. 2017, the 23rd pick becomes OG Ananobi. Um, I like Gravis Vasquez as a Raptor. What were your, some of your favorite Gravis Vasquez memories? Uh, look, Gravis was a good guy like that came over and, mm-hmm. and was a big part of that core that helped the Raptors become the Raptors in that 2013-14 season after the Rudy Gay trade. Um, I think the most memorable Gravis moment is probably when he shimmied after time. Ta- yeah. Yeah. Great moment. In a loss. Another <laughs> Raptors game one moment where they shit the bed against the Wizards. And uh, oh. Vasquez sends it to overtime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after the Raptors come back down the stretch. That, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. That was also the peak of that series for the Raptors. Yeah, it was. They didn't win a game. It was. So, uh, you know what, though? It's good that you brought that up because Gravis was pretty solid that year. Like, he averaged 9.5 points per game, four assists. He came off the bench for most of the season. Kyle got hurt for a little bit, so he can't, he played a little bit of starter minutes too. But Gravis was okay, right? He was he could definitely play a little bit too. So there was reason for the Bucks trading for him because they needed a point guard. I also think this was the Jason era, you know, um, Jason T- uh, Jason Kidd era of the Bucks, where they just kept getting large point guards who resembled yeah. Jason Kidd in, in physical stature. Obviously, Kidd and Chris can't be compared in any sort of real basketball context aside from height. But um, so they they traded for Gravis, which I think 
it was a fine move. Like they didn't have great point guards, but it just did not work out for Milwaukee. Like it, so, Graves only plays twenty three games for Milwaukee that season. He's hurt, uh, and and so he doesn't play much. But he shot thirty two percent from the field for the season and averaged five point seven uh, points. And then he was out of the NBA the year after that. So. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you're talking about, like, man, what the Spurs got in future value for Kawhi, what? The, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why the Bucks gave up these pieces. And, of course, Norman Powell comes back. Obviously, he, you know, has been with the Raptors longer. He's had more playoff moments. And, obviously, OG didn't actually play in last year's um, finals because he had the emergency appendectomy. Um, but, yeah, it was just, again, this is just an incredible deal. But... If you look at within the scope of Masai's trades, like where does this rank? Because this this might even crack top five for me because it, it's oh, that it, valuable of a move. I think it hundred percent cracks top five. Like if the Kawhi deal and um, I don't know, maybe like the Gasol deal, like like Kawhi deal, the Mellow deal. Like if we're going back, obviously. Oh, you know, sorry, you're going. Oh yeah, Masai's yeah. entire tenure. Yeah, it's probably around like four or five. Yeah. In his Raptors tenure, it might even be top three, dude. He turned. Yeah. A guy that had less than a season left in his NBA career. Yeah. Into the picks that became Norman Powell and OG Ananobi. And within the next two years, within a year and a little bit after that, mm. Powell was helping the Raptors get to their uh, first ever conference finals because he helped save them against Indiana, remember? Yep. In yep. Um, and then the year after that, Powell helps them beat Milwaukee. <laughs> In the playoffs. Think about that. Yeah. In the 2017 playoffs, yeah. the Bucks were partially beaten mm-hmm. by the guy who was used by in the pick they gave up to get Gravis Vasquez. And in that same deal, the Raptors got the pick that turned into OG. Just ridiculous value for the Raptors part. And insane, asinine mm-hmm. value forfeiture by Milwaukee's part. Yeah, it, it's literally found money. And and by the way, people, uh, Powell's history against the Bucks. It, it bears repeating just because of how good it is. In 2017, in the series against the Bucks in the first round in six games, Norman Powell shot 12 of 13 from three. This is not a typo. This is I went back and made sure it's 12 of 13. So he was the original Fred Van Vliet against the Bucks, And then two years later, in games four, uh, three and four, which I would say were just absolutely vital for the Raptors to just like rescue their title chances. They were down 0-2. They had to come home. They had to even the series. Not 3-1. They had to be back 2-2. All right. And Norman Powell in game three. Remember, Kyle Lowry fouled out early in that game. And, of course, no one else was really stepping up against the Bucks in that series. Norman Powell steps up 19 points in game three. Super important. I remember freaking out when, Norm, when uh, Powell ended up fouling out in the game. Yeah. Some bull, uh, you know, just a bullshit call. And then game four, Powell has eighteen points, eighteen points, and is a plus twenty nine uh, in the win. Now, Norm is not necessarily a consistent piece of the finals run last year, but just specifically against the Bucks, if they didn't have Norm, they probably don't get past the Bucks. And again, the Bucks have just come up many times now by this point. Yep. But the Raptors tormenting the Bucks in this championship is just incredible. I've been saying now for like basically since the Raptors beat the Bucks again in the playoffs in the spring that. Mm-hmm. Um, like if Giannis is this kind of like new age um, Jordan light kind of whatever, like he's going to be the next guy who takes the mantle from LeBron or whatever. Right. You can make the argument that the Raptors are like his boogeyman. The Raptors are like his bad boy Pistons yeah. that he can't get past, right? Like mm-hmm. he's lost to them twice in the playoffs. He's blown a two nothing lead as the number one seed. His franchise has been fleeced by them in a trade. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at it now and it's like, look at what Norm and OG were this season. Mm-hmm. 
Norm was becoming a legitimate like secondary tertiary scorer in the NBA. Yep. And OG looked like an all defensive team candidate. Yeah. And again, yo, no no hate to Gravis Vasquez, but the fact that the Bucks only got Gravis Vasquez out of this deal. Is, is, is incredible to me. Uh, really quickly, through the free agency process, the Raptors also picked up some pieces. Jody Meeks and Jeremy Lin were acquired from the buyout market. I remember, I'm going to take a huge L for fawning over Jeremy Lin, only because <laughs> I got really excited. Um, I was on my way to the airport on vacation when um, I saw that the deal was literally on the up train. And I saw Woe just tweet that the Raptors acquired Jeremy Lin, got super hyped, was in the airport, was trying to record a podcast. Couldn't do it because A, it's an airport, and B, like, they kept having those, like, announcements, like, oh, you know, like, you gotta get on your flight or whatever. So I couldn't do the podcast, but then I remember spending the entire flight to, uh, Columbia writing about Jeremy Lin. And, like, I wrote this whole piece about how he's gonna be a great piece for the Raptors. Didn't happen. Just took a huge L there. Really only did it because he was Asian. Um, <laughs> Joe- oh, wait, oh, I was. I was all in on them getting like yeah, out of the buyout candidates. Yeah. I thought he was the best one. He was like this pick and roll maestro. Mm-hmm. Um, who could get their offense flowing a bit, like give uh, Lowry some time off. Like I didn't think he was going to yeah. be a major piece, but I thought like I thought Jeremy Lin was going to be a rotation piece, even if it was yeah. only like eight minutes a game. I thought he was going to be like a mainstay in the rotation through the playoffs. Yeah, and they had just moved along right in the yeah. in the Gasol trade, so um, they needed a third point guard. Um, and so they brought him in, uh, J- Jody Meeks, whatever. I mean, he, I don't even know if he really played in the NBA last year, but you know, he came in, hit a couple of shots. Good for him. Uh, in terms of out of the G league cycle, they got Jordan Lloyd and Chris Boucher. Boucher has obviously, you know, become a nice piece of the Raptors. Um, but obviously didn't factor much into the uh, playoff run. Jordan Lloyd really did factor in a lot because even though he wasn't one of the 15 players dressed, for the team, they still brought him along. Uh, apparently, Jordan Lloyd was uh, the decoy Steph Curry that they used in practice. So, like, they just had him sprint around, kind of imitate Steph, and then people would just like uh, practice guarding against him. Like, this sounds like a, a joke, but it really is like an important role to play on a team. Someone right. has to do that. Jordan Lloyd did that, and of course, you know, his he's immortalized as the random guy in a suit yeah. who's crouching beside Kawhi. Like, yo, great job, Jordan Lloyd. Great instincts to get in that photo. It's an all-time yeah. photo. It's literally the photo of the year um, for sports in 2019. Great job by Jordan Lloyd to get himself that front and center. And this was my argument, too, when, uh, you know, when people were like, oh, uh, DeMar and JV and DeLon and those guys should all get rings. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, no, they weren't on the championship team. And then the, our, people's counter was like, well, like, Jordan Lloyd's gonna get a ring. Like he didn't even play in the playoffs. Like yeah, do you know he where Jordan Lloyd? Do you, do you know where Jordan Lloyd was when Kawhi Leonard hit the buzzer beater? He was on the bench with the Raptors, crouching beside Kawhi Leonard. You know mm-hmm. why? Because he was on the team. Yeah. And those other guys weren't. Yeah. Like and and honestly, like I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jordan Lloyd being the decoy in practices, prepping for the the finals because like that's the kind of thing people don't think about, right? Yeah. Like they. They don't realize that just because a guy's not playing, and yeah, it becomes a joke because he's the guy in the suit, whatever. Like, yo, that guy's got an NBA job, yeah, and he's in practice, like helping his team in some way. They're using him as, as like the guy who's pretending to be Steph Curry in these practices. I know it is; it does sound funny, yeah. And he didn't log a minute in the finals, but like, no, but like, who else is gonna do that? You can't just grab like, yo, Nick Nurse is gonna pretend to be Steph Curry now. Like, exactly. no, that doesn't work, man. Yeah, you need an and, actual live body. 
And if you ask, like, again, in the media, it's easier for us to laugh about it as fans, whatever. But if you ask players on NBA teams, on pro sports teams, they'll tell you, like, yo, you can't measure, obviously, anything those guys do because they don't play. But they have some, even if it's minuscule, there's some tangible effect Mm -hmm. that preparing like that with those guys has on the team. Like, they, they have some value in a team building environment and exercise right and and to kind of just like scoff at these guys who don't play it's like yo man there's 450 nba jobs in the world yeah exactly and, and he had one of them and you know he did his part even if it was just in practice for the team that won the title yeah and and it's it's exactly like uh our friend alex being a xtsc champion even though he was backup keeper behind gino the whole season <laughs> hey you know he <laughs> he played enough games to qualify to get a championship ring <sighs> Um, he, he was there to talk trash with me one game. Like he, he, yeah. he did his part. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention Malcolm Miller in the G League, out of the G League system. But you know, whatever. Uh, free agency. So Raptors picked up Pat McCall last year, uh, and also Eric Moreland. Just want to say a quick shout out to Josh Lundberg. We actually discussed on this podcast. So I, you know, if you want to know what the story was, go back and listen to the yeah. Josh Lundberg episode. Pretty funny. He's actually been a pretty good guy about the whole thing. So. Uh, and it, it seems like they made it up. And then McCaw, I just wanted to note he had five total points in last year's playoffs, which was less than Jeremy Lin, okay? Jeremy had six. All right. Don't <laughs> so, get me started on Pat McCaw, man. Anyway, so let's let's get past that. The the last piece, the the last piece of the Raptors championship team that I really want to talk about here um, was Nick Nurse. Because this is, I mean, it, it's not necessarily like a, you know, rags to riches kind of story. But at the same time, I just remember when the Raptors decided finally, after about a month of looking around in coaches, they were going to go with Nick Nurse. I remember being just really disappointed, which yeah. in retrospect was dumb because yeah. Nick Nurse was a great coach and he's one of the best coaches in the NBA right now. He should win coach of the year this year. But what was your reaction when the Raptors decided on Nick Nurse? Same with you, man. Like, look, I, I had heard all the same stuff everyone else had. He's like this really innovative, mm-hmm. think outside the box guy, offensive genius, whatever. But the way I saw it is like, okay, if you're firing Dwayne Casey mm-hmm. and you've traded Demar Derozan, well, no, they hadn't traded Demar yet, I guess. Right, right, right? they hadn't yet. Okay, but still, you've you fired Dwayne Casey. And coach you, of the year, Dwayne Casey. Yes, coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. And you come to the understanding that like this core, the way they were doing things was no longer good enough, mm-hmm. right? It seemed strange to me and almost far-fetched that you could then get the same core of players to buy in when all you're doing is shuffling one guy one seat over. It's like how different are things really? And as you mentioned, yeah, we were both silly in thinking that because the answer was things were going to be a lot different. They were going to be a lot more dynamic, a lot more malleable, like not even game to game, possession to possession. Mm -hmm. And I think most surprising of all is that everyone was talking about Nick Nurse as an offensive genius. What we ended up learning over the next couple seasons or almost two seasons is he's one of the most creative defensive coaches yeah. we've ever seen, at yeah. least in the modern era. So, um, yeah, it, it kind of just goes to show you that when it comes to like pro sports jobs that we don't get to see and we can't really assess value to, so whether it's coaches or executives, trainers, whatever, it's just so hard for us to have a real opinion of guys mm-hmm. until they're in the big seat, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, it's interesting because Nurse and Masai actually have a long history. I mean, maybe it's not necessarily a history because it's only brief, but Nick Nurse coached for Birmingham, which he loves to talk about. Nick Nurse, a- any chance he gets to the press conference will say Birmingham. All Game right. seven against the Sixers? No big deal. I've, <laughs> I've coached, like, Sheffield United against 
Sheffield Wednesday in front of 72 people, you know? Yo, this, yo seriously, this, this guy's like, yeah, I'm, I was basically a Carlo Ancelotti of, of British basketball. Um, no, but like, yeah, so Nick Nurse coached for Birmingham uh, in a game in 1995 where he coached against Masai. Masai played for Derby back then. So, like, this is how long the history goes back, 1995, in the British Basketball League. Um, and so, you know, whatever. I'm not really sure, and I, I've seen different accounts of this in terms of who ended up bringing Nick Nurse into the Raptors organization. This happened in 2013. It was either Dwayne Casey or Masai Ujiri. I'm not really sure who prompted which, um, but they made an effort to go get Nurse into the sort of the pipeline because they identified that he was a really smart coach. He fired a lot of threes in the G League. Uh, Houston won championships that way in the G League, which is the only championship Houston is winning with their turn teams. Um, <laughs> and Nick Nurse is a big part of that because of all that stuff. And he, you know, he ended up revolutionizing the Raptors' offense in 2018. Didn't matter against LeBron, but it, I mean, just as a fan, like it was better basketball to watch. And yeah, and then you know it was still an uphill battle though because again the perception against him was he's been here this whole time. If he had all these great ideas, why didn't he say something? And then B, like, there were some big candidates out there. Like, so, two candidates have been named otherwise. Uh, Dave Festrek of the Toronto Star identified that Doc Rivers was apparently one of Masai's targets during the coaching search. And I think Doc ultimately decided to stay in Los Angeles. But that's a big name to try to compete against. And then Mike Boonholzer, who's another guy who's been coach of the year before, has coached many successful teams. He's currently coaching a successful regular season team with Milwaukee. And I say regular season on purpose. And yeah, as you should. And then, yeah. And then later on, again, just the, the Bucks angle, Nick Nurse goes on to out-coach Mike Boonholzer in yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals, yeah. who he beat out for the job as a yeah. random assistant guy. So, like, you know, huge, huge salute to Nick Nurse, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think at the time too, like the the rumor was that um, like the Raptors and Budenholzer kind of both came away from that meeting like not really interested in each other anymore, kind of thing. Right, right. Which makes it even if funnier that later Nick Nurse, who was like arguably second or third choice, maybe, mm-hmm. um, at least from a name recognition standpoint, yep, ends up coaching the pants off of Mike Budenholzer. Man, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Mike Boonholzer in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, last year was known for two things. Uh, one, getting really mad at Drake for massaging Nick Nurse. Yeah. Which, um, I don't know why you'd be mad at something like this. And then two, never playing Giannis more than 40 minutes yeah. in a series where, bro, Giannis is like 25 years old. He's in the prime of his career. He's not injured in what's any aspect whatsoever. He's clearly the best player, maybe the only elite player on the Bucks. But for some goddamn reason, even though he was asked over and over and over again, and I was at all those press conferences, asked over and over again, why don't you play Giannis more? And he just kept saying he couldn't. Like, it, Giannis' no. minutes log, 37 in game one, 34 in game two, 44 in game three, but that was a game that was in double overtime, and he fouled out. And then 34 minutes, also, 39 like, minutes, 40 minutes. Bro, why didn't he just play Giannis? Thank you, bud. But, like, was, why did you do it? It was, it was late May. It was yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals. What are you saving his minutes for? The 2020 final? Or like, oh, well, you know, we got to make sure that his no, body's right. If we're in the finals with him when he's 29 years old, we can't be. It's like, what? No, like, no, come you on. Go you got to you gotta maximize, no. you gotta maximize regular season wins when you're Mike Boonholzer. Man, it's crazy. And, and you know, this is something I've been going off on this year. It's like, yo, Mike Boonholzer is a good coach. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Yeah, definitely. Even, even like I've been arguing, even though I think Nick Nurse is the coach of the year, 
I don't think Mike Busenholzer is actually getting enough coach of the year credit because it's like, well, he won it last year. Yeah. And I don't think that should disqualify him from the fact that, you know, he's leading a team that was for a lot of the season on pace for 70 wins. Like, he's a good coach. Mm-hmm. The problem with Mike Budenholzer, um, and you can compare it to, like, Dwayne Casey, other coaches like this in the past, is that, yeah, he's either unable or unwilling to adapt on the fly until it's too late, until his mm-hmm. hand is forced. This is something, like, during that East Finals. I remember writing after game one, when the Bucks came back to win that game and Brogdon was really big for them. And I remember writing in like the takeaways after that, like, yo, the Bucks won this game. It'll be interesting to see how long Mike Budenholzer waits to reinsert Malcolm Brogdon into the starting line right, and right. get his minutes up because he was their best or second best player tonight. And the best coaches make the proactive decision. They don't wait yeah. for like the pressure to be on them to make it. And as it turned out, Budenholzer didn't make that decision until his back was against the wall. Right. And and to me, that's what holds those coaches back. It's like, yo, it, it's easy to be reactive when your back's against the wall. Mm-hmm. I like coaches who are proactive and have the vision and the foresight to be like, yo, like I didn't like the way this looked. Yeah, we won the game, but that's not going to work tomorrow or two days from now. Let's do this. And, and Budenholzer has never been that guy. And he wasn't that guy this season, if you watched some of their losses either. Mm-hmm. And the best way I saw it put, I don't remember who tweeted it, was that like Mike Budenholzer um, as a coach is the kind of guy that's just like, this is what we do. We do it well. If, yeah. you, can beat us, if you can beat us while we do that, like all the power to you. Whereas Nick Nurse is like, yo, I'm going to like think about 32 different ways that you're going to have to prepare to beat us. Mm-hmm. And it's just like very different coaching philosophies. And and I like Nick Nurse's philosophy a lot better than Mike Brunholzer's. Yeah, no, one guy literally couldn't play Giannis more than 40 minutes a game, and another guy proactively came out with a box-one approach and yeah. also then switched Fred Van Vliet uh, for Danny Green in the starting lineup um, after Raptors won. Like won. That was, yeah. The switch happened after game three, I believe. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, again, you know, one thing I, I think about sometimes is, like, if the Raptors had pulled off that Kawhi trade earlier during the coaching search, because the coaching search went on for, you know, a lot of the month of June, and Kawhi obviously didn't come until July 18th, um, I wonder if Budenholzer might have been more, you know, attuned to the deal. Maybe he, obviously, there's familiarity from the Spurs days. Bud was an assistant. Obviously, uh, Kawhi was with the Spurs. I wonder if that would have worked out. But, again, I, I think it really worked out perfectly. You know, it's one of those <laughs> other breaks because Nick Nurse yeah. is just I, – I mean, Nick Nurse is a better coach. I don't know what to say. So yeah, It's not even close at this point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's 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 how the Raptors came to be and that's how the Raptors came to become champions. Obviously, they had to come up with great plays and contributions. Everyone had to work out egos and stuff like that. But just how the Raptors even got together, that's how they, that's how they got together. So – um, Cash, thank you so much for your time, for being so generous. Is there uh what do you want to plug? What do you want to leave uh, the viewers and listeners with? Uh, I guess I'll plug a little bit of everything, man. So, yeah, so follow follow me on Twitter and, and have the score app so you can get any of my written pieces. Um, subscribe and listen to Pound the Rock, Will's yep. former show. And also um, check out and subscribe to the Scores YouTube page, which like in the last two or three months we've kind of gone heavier on and we've got a lot of like fun feature videos out there too. Um, that usually like one or two a week of those that could p- keep people entertained during this sports list time in our lives. So a little bit of everything. All right. Definitely do that. So really can't recommend all that enough. So um, yeah, for everyone listening, thanks to um, everyone. I mean, for supporting the program, uh, make sure you continue to practice social distancing uh, and yeah, I'll be back next week with another long form podcast. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.